Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Friday, April 21st, 2023. It's been 3,341 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 422 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Some housekeeping. Today's report is somewhat condensed as our chief content officer has some exciting developments on the home front, as it were, and is taking a few days off. So we'll be jumping right into regional updates. We appreciate your understanding. Starting with Kharkiv in the Dvorichna operational area, the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported fighting among squad-sized units in the area of Sinkivka with no change in the situation. As we've previously assessed, this is likely in the forest north of the village. In the Kupiansk operational area, the Russian MOD reported fighting among squad-sized units in the area of Orlyansk. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. In the Svatova operational area, we're seeing activity that would support that Ukraine is setting conditions, or creating the illusion of setting conditions, while the Russian MOD reports fighting among squad-sized units in the area of Rajhorotka. In the Kremina operational area, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, and Ukrainian sources reported positional fighting on the southern edge of Kremina. Russian mercenary mill blogger Wargonzo, however, reported that the fighting in the area of Kremina was in the forested region and tree lines west of the city. Either way, there was no change in the situation. There were multiple reports of positional fighting in the Serebriansky forest and the Siversky-Donetsk river floodplain west of Shiplivka. Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor Artem Lysikhor reported fighting, quote, near Bilohodivka, the one in Luhansk, obviously. There were no other sources that claimed activity in the area. In northeast Donetsk, in the Bakhmut operational area, the Russian MOD reported they completed 64 fire missions through the Solidar, Bakhmut, and Kostyantanivka operational areas, and 10 close air support sorties were conducted by Russian Army Aviation and the VKS. 
PMC Wagner soldiers interviewed by Russian state media agency SHOT claimed that Ukrainian forces have no shortage of artillery ammunition and both combatants are shelling each other, quote, nonstop. PMC Wagner had some success advancing down a tree line southeast of Bohdanivka toward the T-506 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line. This is likely hindering the use of the highway through Hromova, but it's worth noting that Wagner mercenaries have been here before, and they have a very exposed flank. There's no change in the northern part of Bakhmut, and fighting continues on the southern edge of Rose Alley. In the central part of Bakhmut, Russian mercenary millblogger Rebar claims that Hotel Transit was captured by Russian forces. We're skeptical of the claim due to the low quality of information from the millbloggers and no associated claim from PMC Wagner. Fighting continues around railroad stations 1 and 2 as well as the grain elevators. In southern Bakhmut, PMC Wagner advanced to Skovordy Lane. In southwestern Bakhmut, there were no reports of fighting on Korsunskoho Street, the T-504 highway junction by the former MiG-17 statue, or near Ivanivske. In southwest Donetsk, in the Avdiivka operational area, the GSAFU reported that Russian troops attempted to attack in the area of Kamyanka, while Warganzo reported a failed advance on Avdiivka from the southwest. These reports are almost certainly referencing the same failed Russian attack. The GSAFU and Wargonzo both reported a failed direct attack on Avdiivka, shocking, though with neither reporting a direction. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported fighting in the no-man's land between Sieverne and Vodyana. Russian sources claimed some success, and Ukrainian sources reported the attacks were repulsed. It's likely that tree lines and trenches swapped control throughout the day. A platoon of Russian soldiers supported by two infantry fighting vehicles attempted to advance into Pervomaiske from Piski. They were immediately attacked when they reached the E-50 highway bridge with one IFV destroyed. The rest of the forces retreated, leaving the dismounts of the disabled IFV behind. Because teamwork. Russian forces tried a night attack east of the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske, which failed. In the Marinka operational area, fighting along Druzhby Avenue continued, with Rybar claiming that this time, for realsies, we mean it, Russian forces have crossed the former center of the city and have Ukrainian forces partially surrounded. Wargonzo, on the other hand, reported that yesterday's attacks failed. Russian forces continued attempts to recapture positions they inexplicably gave up east of Pobida. In the Vuhledar operational area, the GSAFU reported that Russian forces made multiple attacks that were repulsed. There were no claims of fighting from Russian sources. Organzo reported that Ukrainian forces attacked the southern part of Pavlivka using reconnaissance in force. This is likely reporting the video we talked about yesterday that showed fighting in the center of the contested settlement. Russian and Ukrainian sources both reported fighting in the area of Prechistivka. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, the Black Sea fleet has 11 vessels on patrol, including three missile carriers capable of launching up to 13 caliber cruise missiles in total. We are unsure of the deployed vessels, and insurgents in Sevastopol didn't share shipping activity today. In the Saki area of occupied Crimea, an exciting new tourist attraction has been added. Signs have been placed warning residents to stay off the beaches due to landmines. 
In western and central Ukraine, in Kherson, Russian sources claim that Ukrainian forces have set up a bridgehead on the east bank of the Dnipro River, near the Antonovsky Bridge. In our assessment, Ukrainian DRG and Special Operation Forces, or SOF, units have been active on the left bank. This isn't a surprise and has been established for months. Ukraine has established forward operating bases on the islands east of Kherson in the Dnipro River Delta, which don't have a lot of strategic value. Well-equipped and well-trained SOF units supported by the indigenous population can create an impression of a significantly larger force. We don't believe that there's a bridgehead with active sea lines of communication, called SLOC, those are supply lines, on the water. We do believe that the complaints within the original Russian claim about ammunition shortages and a breakdown of command and control over getting permission for fire missions are true. It's more likely that, by exaggerating the situation, local commanders are hoping to get more ammunition and greater autonomy with artillery strikes. Two Iranian sourced Shahed 136 kamikaze drones struck civilian infrastructure in the city of Poltava, causing a fire. There were no casualties reported. In north and northeast Ukraine, in Kyiv, Ukrainian air defenses intercepted eight Iranian sourced Shahed 136 kamikaze drones with no damage or casualties reported. In Cherniv, an Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 drone failed during its flight and crashed intact. Explosive Ordnance Disposal, or EOD, specialists were able to defuse the drone, which was then collected by state border guards. On the Russian front, the official version explaining the explosion in Bilgorod is an Su-34 experienced an anomaly, and a bomb was accidentally dropped on the city. A handful of videos and pictures show cars flipped over, broken windows, shattered apartments, and facades heavily damaged on buildings. Russian officials initially claimed there were no casualties. They now report two people were wounded, a woman with a serious head injury and another who refused medical treatment. A few days ago, we reported that an M. Shorad air defense system was heavily damaged in a traffic accident in Germany. This was met with ridicule by Russian social media. In Tuva, Russia, however, there was a karmic rebalancing of the universe as a Russian S-400 air defense system lost control on the highway and rolled over into a ditch. In a report in TASS, the Russian MOD is considering retiring the heavy nuclear missile carrier and the flagship of the northern fleet of Russia, Peter the Great, due to the cost of refitting the vessel. Four Kirov-class cruisers were built by the Soviet Union, with the Peter the Great, previously named the Yuri Andropov, launched in 1989 but not commissioned until 1998. The Admiral Nakhimov, commissioned in 1988, is undergoing a refit. The other two vessels were scrapped in 2021. If retired, the Russian Navy would be left with one heavy cruiser, two Slava-class missile cruisers, seven destroyers, 11 Greenwater frigates, 11 ballistic submarines, and an assortment of almost four dozen attack submarines in active service. Russia's only aircraft carrier, the Kunitsov, is also under refit and isn't expected to return to service until 2024. The northern fleet of Russia is still conducting a snap drill, which apparently has not gone well. Admiral Sergei Avakyans, who has commanded the northern fleet since 2019, was fired by Russian President Vladimir Putin. 
Russian Deputy Prime Minister Yuri Trutnev confirmed that Avakians had been relieved of command. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Andriy Yusov, a representative of the Defense Intelligence of Ukraine, validated our earlier assessment that Ukraine has taken the initiative on the battlefield, declaring that while Russia is still conducting tactical offensive operations theater-wide, they have moved to strategic defense. He said, quote, The most combat-ready part of the Russian army has been destroyed in Ukraine. Vladimir Putin destroyed it by sending it to the meat grinder. End quote. Speaking of meat, let's talk about the Russian military mobilization and MIR. Russia's promise not to issue electronic subpoenas until the fall conscription cycle lasted less than 72 hours. In the Leningrad region, residents were reporting that summons of the commissariat were being sent via SMS text and app. Area officials said that paper subpoenas were also being sent, but didn't remind people of the small detail that the summonses are considered delivered the moment it reaches the mobile device. In geopolitical news, did 20 United States senators send a letter to U.S. President Joe Biden demanding the discontinuation of aid to Ukraine? Nope. The letter was drafted by U.S. Senators J.D. Vance, a Republican from Ohio, and Rand Paul, a Republican from Kentucky, and had 18 additional signatories from the House of Representatives. The 18 House reps are from the MAGA-aligned so-called Freedom Caucus. The only new name to appear on a letter is Senator J.D. Vance. This does not represent a shift in U.S. Senate policy or an erosion of support in the chamber. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.